All right, record button is on, and let's get this party going. What is up, you guys? Welcome to Ratchet Dojo Radio. I am your host, Ro The Show. If this is your first time listening and you are wondering what this podcast is going to be about, this podcast is all about jujitsu and everything that revolves around it. Guys, today we have a special guest. And this guest is a Spider Invitational Champion. And he is the first African-American Black Belt World Champion. Ladies and gentlemen, from Team Lloyd Irvin, Mr. Jamil Hill Taylor. What's up, baby? How you doing? Good, good, good. Thanks for being on the show. No problem. All right, awesome. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, so how, how are you doing? How is, um, how's life, you know, during quarantine, all that stuff? Uh, it's, it's, it's not my ideal living situation or anything like that, but I've made the best out of it. Uh-huh. And then, uh, and, and what are you doing as far as uh, training and all that stuff is going? Uh, well, well, yesterday was actually the first day I've trained in the gym since March. So wow, just got back training yesterday. Other than that, I've been training no-gi mostly. Yeah, almost an, entirely no-gi for the past six months with some of the guys that are uh, fighting and doing MMA. So that's kind of been the main training I've been able to get for the past six months up until yesterday. So would you say it's one of those underground uh, things where only like invite only? Like yeah, <laughs> just a small group, small group of guys that we know how, where everyone's just going from home into training and that's it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. try to try to get some work in while being as safe as possible. Yeah, man. I mean, I feel as if like that's what a lot of uh, people are doing, you know, just to stay sane because like, you know, how, how, you know, taking something as, as like jujitsu that we are so passionate about and then, you know, somebody just pulled the plug on us is like, now what do we do? It's just, you know, it's just like people are just like scrambling just to get some training in, right? I know I am. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so uh, Jamil, how, you know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, uh, how old are you? Where are you from? All that stuff. Well, I'm 24, turned 25 in December. I am from PG County, Maryland, a big county in Maryland. I grew up like right near Andrews Air Force Base for the most part. And uh, yeah, I started training around 2006 at Lord Ever Martial Arts. It was down the street from my grandparents' house that I was staying at. And second I went in I was just hooked on it so I've been there ever since and what and how did you get hooked on it well my friend from school who's actually a black belt at our on our team Angelo Claiborne I was in school with him down the street from the gym maybe a five minute drive and he told me him and one of my other friends told me I should come try the summer camp program out and it would be a lot of fun so I ended up going to the summer camp program and it was just a really fun time. And I could tell it was a different environment from a lot of the other camps and things I've gone to. And within my first week, the head of the kids program, Master Donnie, he had me try to like, it was like a jujitsu kind of intro for all the kids that didn't know anything about jujitsu. We were just having fun. So he told me to pass one of my friend's guards and he was a, already a, a competitor and I had no idea what to do. And I, it just was so intriguing to me at the time. And from that moment on, I just wanted to do jujitsu all day, every day. Mm. And uh, and you're with Lloyd, Team Lloyd Irvin, is that correct? Currently? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yes, sir. And how and how is it there? You know, it's I, great. Yeah. It's a real great family uh, kind of feel. It doesn't really feel like. Uh, just a gym where everyone just comes to train and, and goes on about their, their business. All, everyone on the competition team, we all mostly have a personal relationship with each other. A lot of the guys I consider brothers and my best friends. And we do a lot outside of just training. We have a lot of fun and we travel together. It's a real close knit family kind of feel. And we're, 
we just go hard. <laughs> now, is would you consider Team Lloyd Irvin's gym? Because uh, I've never been uh, a big gym or a small gym. Uh, it's it's big in size. We we have a, a really big main mat, and we have a, a extra gym in the back that has a lot more mat space as well, as well as like a, a some exercise things in the uh, boxing ring and things like that. So I would consider it a a pretty big gym. We're on the third floor of a built third floor of a building so it's not like a most gyms you kind of see it's like on the ground level and it's just an open space with some mats and stuff mm-hmm. it's built more like a facility it's not just a just a bunch of mats it's a facility we have a lobby locker rooms office rooms kitchen and and we have our mat spaces and exercise spaces and things like that wow that's that's massive <laughs> um so i when I say big, I mean, would you say that there's a lot of students? Uh, yeah, our gym, we have a lot of students, but our gym is not a jiu-jitsu-specific gym. We do boxing, striking, kids after-school programs, kids night classes that are doing striking, some doing jiu-jitsu. So it's a, lot, it's a very, very big student base. And as far as our competition team for guys that go to tournaments, it's a pretty decent sized team. Everyone in there is serious about competing and, and they put in their time and work to go out there and perform on a, on the competition stage. Yeah, man. I mean, you guys tear it up. I mean, you know, concerning competition scene. So that kind of like leads me to the question of like, you know, like why, what makes team Lloyd Irvin's, you know, team so good in, in the competition scene. And why do you think it's so special? Um, I think it's, there's, there's the way I came up, which is I pretty much grew up in the program and I grew up, like I started as a kid and I've been there ever since to where I feel like I have a lot of trust in my teammates and my coaches for knowing me personally, knowing how to bring the best out of me and being willing to push me as far as I could be pushed, you know? So I really have a lot of trust in my teammates and I'm able to give it all every, every day on the mat because I have that trust with my teammates and coaches. And I feel like our coaches, Master Donnie and Master Lloyd, they give a lot to helping us get better individually and as a team. And I don't know if a lot of gyms have the ability to do that just because of, like I said, how close-knit and how small our competition team is in comparison to a lot of other gyms. So I feel like that's a big thing. And Master Donnie and Master Lloyd are some of the best, I think the best technical coaches in the world. The attention to detail we get is, is crazy. and just the foundation that we get without forcing us into any specific game. So we all learn the base of jujitsu, old school jujitsu, the foundation, why you do the things you do, what everything's supposed to stop and, and promote in jujitsu. And we're able to use that to build our own individual games. No two people on our team have similar styles. You'll see people doing throws, people focusing on judo, people playing guard, focusing on bolos, 50-50. Then you'll see guys playing more standard guard, close guard, Dela Hiva, things like that. So I feel like just giving us the freedom to develop our own games using the systems that they teach, the basics and foundations, and being able to have that technical support when you want to add something to your game is a big deal with how we build our, our, our team. Yeah, that's, 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 that's kind of fascinating because, um, you know, I, I, it's definitely a, a unique – over the years, I've – heard about team Lloyd Irvin, you know, um, you know, just from, um, you know, the, the big names in jujitsu right now. And they used to, what did you, what did, what did, uh, Lloyd Irvin used to do? He used to have those in-house competitions where there was money. Yeah. Involved. <laughs> yeah. The, you, the old, uh, BJJ Kumite. Is that what it's called? Did, um, were you involved yeah, in any, was, any of those? No, I was, I was, young back then when uh, they did the brown belt kumite where like uh, Keenan, Gary, AJ, all those guys were coming in. I was able to watch some of those matches when I was coming in from school. So I was able to see a lot of those matches and see how the guys are training and things like that. But I was only, I made, I don't even think I was a blue belt at the time. I think I was a green belt. I was still in high school. So I wasn't on the floor with those guys, but I was able to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you think about uh, all those kumite events? It was awesome. I think that format is, is I think, kind of influenced a lot of what you see today with the, the absolute tournaments and the money tournaments 
left and right and uh, things like that. You didn't see a lot of that or at all back then. No, not at all. And not now there's a lot, lot of those going on now. <laughs> yeah, and even then, that was a thing for brown belts. There weren't even any black belts involved, and it was like it still is like the most watched thing on YouTube for like ju- a jujitsu tournament series. Yeah, hundreds and thousands of views per episode and <laughs> these are brown belt guys that no one knew who they were like a lot of the guys had a common name a familiar name in the sport but these were brown belts getting a lot more popularity and exposure than a lot of black belts at the time and as you can see a lot of those guys going forward like a lot of these guys Gary Tonin, Keenan, AJ Agazam, uh, AJ Sousa, Sean Roberts these are like some of the bigger names in jiu-jitsu at Black Belt now, and that's kind of something that gave them a lot of exposure back then. So I think that 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 series, that whole tournament was really big and helped a lot of guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, joining us on uh, in, in this podcast is also my friend, uh, Black Belt, Mr. Jay Machiavelli. Jay, welcome to the show. Oh my goodness! I'm so <laughs> glad to be here. What's popping? What's how's everything going? Miss you guys. All you right. out there getting, living your best life out there? Throw the show. Pretty much as always. Uh, Jay, do you remember the, those those Kumite days? Remember watching them on YouTube? I was like, "What the hell is this, dude?" <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I grew up in that era, man. You know, I, I mean, I'm not sure exactly which Kumite you're talking about, but like. Back in the days, we used to have our own little, like, thing. And, um, you know, we used to, because I came up in a, a karate school that was, basically it was free for, like, the project kids. And it was, you know, they charged folks who, who could afford to pay. And we just basically had to go around and fight on behalf of the school. And that's how we got, like, new students and stuff like that. And um, But are you guys talking about that or something else? Yeah, we're just pretty much just talking about like, you know, when Team Lloyd Irvin um, was making all these videos of like these in-house competitions. And I thought it was the coolest oh, thing. Oh, yes. It was like pretty scary. Yes, and, and then yes. Jamil was like talking to, to us about how he was like still a young person, you know, just watching it. But, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I mean, if I were to see that like as a young person you know never have been exposed to anything else as far as like uh fighting and competition i i'd be that would definitely make a an impact in my life yeah yeah and i remember those man they were pretty dope um you know i mean especially you know like like you said just seeing all of those uh in that lineup when people when they would go down the line you're like yo who are these guys (laughs) So yeah, I was always impressed by that. Yeah. Just the innovation that came out of that that came out of Lloyd Irvin's uh, Master Lloyd School was yeah. just always impressive to me. Now, Jamil, so here's a question: yep. Have you ever participated in any any of those uh, Kumite events, like you know, underground? No, we <laughs> used to have some in school tournaments where it would just be uh, Team Lloyd Irvin, Team Lloyd Irvin affiliates. Got it. That that had tournaments at the gym, and those were kind of had a similar feel to them. But uh, no, I didn't get to do any of the the kumite. Like I said, I was a green belt. When I say it was like my junior year, or even my maybe even my sophomore year of high school. I think probably my sophomore year of high school when that was going down. So I just was glad to be able to watch some of the matches and and learn from watching. Got it. Got it. So, anyways. yeah, because I mean, like those were like five, six, some like seven years ago, and I, I think Jamil was still like a blue belt five years ago, right? Yeah, that was that was a that was a, a while ago. I, actually, I think it may be closer like seven seven years because I I graduated high school in twenty thirteen, so it had to be seven eight years ago. So right. I was still a youngster. I wasn't I wasn't on the mats with those guys. I was glad to be able to watch. Yeah, yeah. So, so Jamel, I know right now you're not really training the way that you want to, except, you know, the underground uh, uh, jujitsu thing. And yesterday was the first day that you actually got to train. But when you were preparing for, um, let's just say, a world's championship, can you tell us a little bit about your regiment as far as jujitsu is concerned? Um, I was training every day of the week, two days on every day three on tuesday thursday saturday 
So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday would be train in the morning, uh, teach the kids after school, so help the kids with their homework, teach the kids after school right after morning class, then teach night class, then I try to get a little bit of homework in, then do the night class, go up to go up to school, get some work done, go to sleep. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, I get up earlier to do an early morning drill session with some of the guys. Then I do morning class. Right from morning class, we go into our after school, so we would have our kids coming in for from school, helping with homework, teach night class, or teach after school, then night class, train in adult night class, and go home. And Saturdays will be my long day, so get to the gym around 10, maybe leave around 5 p.m., and then Sundays I would just train once. Damn. So that was pretty much my schedule for from what uh, March through first week of June when Worlds was. So you you pretty much just had like no outside life. Is that correct? It's just jujitsu. Yeah. No. I was. It was jujitsu. Get as much of my schoolwork done in between training. If not, I'd be up late doing my schoolwork. Next time, I next day I'd go to school, and so all of this is like I'm going to school before I I start the training. So I'd go to school. I'd have my college classes set so I could be there earlier, get done. I'd probably be at my college classes from nine to eleven or nine or eight to ten thirty on my my earlier days, and I'd be at the gym from eleven thirty to or maybe ten p.m. and I'd go home and do it all over again. Wow. What would you say is your drive for doing that? Because it's, um, it's a very un, you know, it's not your norm. Yeah, well, for most it wasn't a norm, but the way I was at the gym, it was kind of a norm for me. Mm. So I got, like I said, I was hooked on jujitsu from the moment I found out what jujitsu was. The second I got on the competition team, I wanted to be at the gym. All day, every day, I stopped playing football. I stopped doing anything extra. I just wanted to do jujitsu, and this was all from my own motivation. I just enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Once I started finding out what IBJJF was, I went to my first Worlds to watch in 2009. Once I got to see that, like before that, I just thought Nagas and Grappler's Quest was like, that was the only thing I saw, you know, and then maybe some old DVDs of people at Nagas and Grappler's Quest and UFC Fan Expo type things, but when I went to Worlds for the first time and saw the black belts and saw what it looked like on Black Belt Day and how serious the competition was on all the days, from that moment on, I wanted to be a black belt world champion at IBJJF. So that was like my main goal. And everything uh, up to that was just normal for me to be at the gym all day, try to stay to the gym at the gym as late as I could. If, if my parents would let me do the, the adult class late at night, I try to make sure my schoolwork was done so that I could do that. And my coach, Master Donnie, really helped me be able to train as much as I wanted because he gave me a ride home after training every night to make sure I got home. So that, for me, coming up in high school, that was kind of my schedule. So when it went to college and it just, I got to pick my schedule a little more, it just, it just was normal for me to just do school, get school out the way and be at the gym all day until I, I was done, until all the classes were finished. That was just kind of my norm. Mm. So. I didn't have to get any special motivation to do that crazy schedule because it was normal for me, and I was already motivated to be a black belt world champion. Yeah. So why, how, why was that important to you? Like that becoming a black belt world champion. You when you were when you saw your first competition, the black belt competition, and you you saw that. Why did that make such an impact on you as a young person? Well, I was, I've always been competitive when I played football, I was competitive when I was at the gym, just running around playing games. I'm always competitive in nature. So when I got to see that that was the highest level of jujitsu and I got to watch it, I was like, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be able to win that tournament and be on that stage where the black belts is two mats and only one mat going on at a time in the finals. Everyone's looking in. It's, it just seemed like the high, it was the highest level of competition for. Jiu-jitsu, and as a competitive person, I always strive to whatever the highest level of what I was doing, I wanted to be able to win and compete at that level. So the second I saw what it was, I saw the Cabrinhas and 
versus Bruno Frazado. I got to see a lot of these guys, the Bucheches and Leandro Sergio Marias, uh, Marcelo Garcia, Braulio Esteem. I got to see these guys fight. Rodrigo Cavaca. I watched these guys fight like my first year at Worlds, and I was just hooked from that moment. I wanted to be on that stage at that level. So going forward, that's what I want to do. I did everything my coaches told me to do in order to get on that level. So I was watching film. I was doing as many trains as I could. I was making sure I had my grades to a point where I could train as much as I, I wanted to, and I never missed a tournament. I just did every tournament that our team went to do. Gotcha. So can I ask a question about that role? It's like, yeah, so, you know, you being a smaller guy, the featherweight king, right? Uh, obviously, you had the training with these much older guys, bigger, stronger guys, um, you know, and a lot of folks who were had basically outranked you, right? Yep. Um, you know, from 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 what I understand, you know, you had to come up with a lot of very sort of creative and innovative things in order to, you know, not get your guard passed and get smashed. So, um, and I heard some rumors and maybe you can talk to this a little bit that you were really the innovator and the inventor of the lapel guard. Can you you talk about that a bit? Yeah. So coming up, I've always been undersized for my age. So I would always end up uh, fighting a lot of people bigger than me. And in the training room, coming up as a kid, uh, there were always guys that were ahead of me that were like my inspiration to train to get on their level. We had guys, uh, Ryan Villagram, Cedric Bryant, Derek Holmes, Corey Walker. These guys coming up when I was coming up on our team were the top ranked kids in the nation. And I looked up to them as my older teammates, my teammates that I wanted to try to get on that level. So I had to be kind of the, the guy in the room that's getting beat up over and over. I never was the best guy in the room, in my opinion. I always had somebody, I always had to be the nail to somebody in the room. And I was able to use that to push myself. And when it comes to the lapel guard, I was around the green belt, greener, early blue belt, where I was training with Derek Holmes a lot and Angelo Claiborne. Both of them were bigger than me, and they were both really, really strong, really, really good guard passers. So for me, I was having a hard time from my reverse De La Hiva on these guys because they were long stat. There'd be a lot of pressure on me, and it was just hard to deal with. So from reverse De La Hiva, I started playing with the lapels, and I started trying to figure out ways to help my guard not get past as often, and that's kind of how I developed a lot of the lapel guard stuff from that position. And from there, once it worked, you know, like if you're having a hard time in the gym and then you add something in, that starts to work. I became hooked on using that just for anything. I was like, okay, it works from this position, but let me, let me use it from De La Hiva, Let me use it from close guard. Everywhere I was just using this position. And in training, it was working a lot. And at the time in tournaments, I was winning er- anything and everything I was in anyway. From I would do two team division, teams, gi, no gi. Then I would go do adult, uh, no gi advance, and adult gi. I was around blue or a green and blue belt, but they always made me fight purple belt at the, the tournaments. That was kind of how I was able to fight an adult. I had to fight the belt up. So it was, I didn't really have at that time a lot of competition in those tournaments. I would only really have my tough matches at uh, Pans and Worlds and Juvenile and Adult. So at the time, I didn't really use it for competition because I didn't need it. I was using it to not get beat up in the gym by Angelo and Derek and Cedric and all the guys that would come come train DJ and guys like that. So I was starting to use that in my coach saw and he was like, this is really good. But I was starting to neglect my basic foundation of jujitsu. I was starting to not do, I was bypassing a lot of things. I wouldn't shrimp because I would throw my leg around on a lapel and things like that. So I was told to dial back on it and wait until my fundamentals get up to where I don't need the lapel to, to survive and to be able to attack and then add it back in and I'll be able to dominate it that way. So I stopped doing it for a while. I brought it back into my game like right before Purple Belt. And during that time, guys like uh, Keenan, Andres, DJ, JT, these guys were on the team. And also a guy, uh, Jimmy Harbison, who was, I want to say he was the first American to double go Grand Slam. He won every every major tournament at Brown Belt 
division in open weight. I forget what year it was, but it was maybe, well, I can't even guess what year it was, but he was someone that would come down and train with us as well and kind of get some rounds because I was still training in the kids program. And I was starting to use this, these things on these guys because, of course, I can't really, at the time, I couldn't really do much technically or strength-wise with these guys. They're coming from the adult circuit. They're winning major titles. They're, they're killing it. So I was trying to use this stuff against them. And I was using Mattel and Keenan and Andres and those guys kind of liked what I was doing. So I showed them some of the moves that I was doing from there. So from my knowledge and from everyone that I know from that, that's kind of how the lapel thing kind of started. Keenan kind of took that and built the whole system around it and started innovating that position a lot. Mm. So am I clear in that it was something that you started and then he just kind of picked up and, you know, uh, and ran with it? Yeah, it was at the time I was using it and I would use it against them and they got an interest in it. And they went on, Keenan ended up going on to Autos and he started really taking to it and trying to, he built a, he built a lot of systems and moves from the basic lapel stuff and things that I was doing. And he turned it into what he has today with his, his whole worm series. And at the time, the stuff that he's doing now and the stuff that's even in jiu-jitsu now, not just from him with the lapel, just not really what I was working with. I was doing a lot more simple, basic, uh, there was some crazy things in there, but a lot of it was basic foundation, just using the lapel to help take away the strength advantage that people would have over me or certain speed advantages that people would have over me. And I was able to use the lapel to kind of nullify that and be able to attack how I wanted. So, yeah, from my knowledge and from what I believe that, I didn't get the lapel thing from anyone else. The inspiration that I got for the lapel guard was actually from Bruno Forzado, who, when he was fighting Cabrinha at Worlds, was using a lapel to help like uh, reinforce his reverse Delahiva in 50-50 positions. And he was the person that I saw use it. And that was, gave me the idea to use the lapel. And I started coming up with a lot of other things from there to what I could use the lapel in. But yeah, I got the inspiration from Bruno Frazada to even use the lapel, grab the lower lapel because the way he was using it, I took that and came up with a lot of ways that put it into all the other guards and things outside of the positions he did. And from there, I showed Keenan and Andres and those guys, and it kind of built on from there. The OG, baby. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, it's just amazing, right, to, to even hear that. Uh, you know, I mean, everyone knows that Lloyd Irving is, you know, the school itself, Team Lloyd Irving, Master Lloyd, you know, is sort of an incubator for a lot of talent. So can you talk about that? I mean, like when, when, when I think about the laundry list of people that have come out of, you know, your school and I think about, um, hold on one second. I'm in another. Uh, so anyway, when I think about all of the uh, innovation that has come out of your school and all the amazing, amazing jujitsu fighters and, you know, uh, uh, things of that nature, it's, crystal clear that there's some space, some room that's given uh, to allow this innovation to happen. And, you know, the distinct difference is that a lot of other schools want you to sort of be a clone of your, your professor, right? You know, everyone yeah. wants you to, to learn their stuff. And then, uh, but it seems like there's a very sort of distinct difference in the way that Master Lloyd or the other coaches at, at your school are, are handling things where they just sort of allow you to, you know, use whatever creativity and natural ability and, you know, whatever other, you know, assets that you have to be able to come up with your own thing. Can you talk about that a bit? Well, the, the main thing I think it is, is that our gym is not a jujitsu competition gym. It's a martial arts gym before anything else. Of course, we have people that compete in the UFC, and boxing and uh, kickboxing, jujitsu, all every like form of combat sports, we have guys that from our gym that compete in those. But our gym is a martial arts gym. If you look it up on Google Maps, it's Lloyd Urban Martial Arts Academy. So for me, the first thing that was coming up is being a martial artist. And in martial arts, the base thing is to be the best version of yourself. 
So for the way I was taught and how I came up in the kids program, it was never to mold me into some type of figure or to be something that was already pre-written. It was just to be the best version of myself. And for me, someone who wanted to be a jujitsu practitioner and I wanted to be a black world champion, my coach is Mashadani, Master Lloyd. That was what I was supposed to be. That was what I wanted to be is a black world champion. So their goal was to get me to be the best version of myself to accomplish this goal. So when you think of it like that, that's how we came up. That's how a lot of the guys that came up in the kids program came up. That's how a lot of guys that were brought in under Master Lloyd came up. So the way we learned jujitsu was the base foundation. You learn good foundation. What everything in jujitsu is, you learn the old school jujitsu, you learn the modern position, you learn everything in jujitsu, but there's room for you to pick and choose what you want to add to your own specific game. We all learn all the moves that you see come that all of us do. We all know them. It's just what we take to personally and what we like for our game for whatever reason to add or to take out. Now, a coach will suggest maybe you should add this in that I may have not been doing before. We'll work on it. We'll discuss it. We'll go over it. And our goal is to build the best version of each athlete, not to clone anyone, you know. So the generation that comes in after me, the kids that I'm teaching and the kids that I'm, I'm working with under Master Donnie, who's the head of our kids program that I'm learning to teach the kids under, we're not trying to make these kids the next me. We never tell the kids you're going to be the next me. When I talk to the kids and when we talk to the kids, our goal is to make them the better version, the next better version of me, to make them better than I will ever be based on having my knowledge and the knowledge that got me to where I had. So when you think of it that way, we're all learning the same systems, but we're allowing everyone to flourish and to, to be themselves within that system. So that's how you'll see everyone on the team has different games from the kids to the adults. We all know the same systems and the same foundation of jiu-jitsu, which you should and shouldn't do from a basic standpoint. But we're not faulting any kids for, for taking to certain techniques and not taking to other techniques as long as they understand what they're doing. So that's kind of how we came up. That's how I came up. That's how the next kids and the next generation is coming up at our gym. And that's why we're so unique in style with all of our athletes. That's cool. That's amazing. Um, so I want to talk to you about, um, you know, how it felt or when you, you know, when you won the world uh, and you fought Leonardo Sagiro um, in 2018. Is that correct? For yes, the world sir. Championship? And uh, you have a very interesting style because you, you're very composed and it seems like you're very comfortable playing guard for most of the part. I mean, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about that, that experience? Well, coming up in jujitsu, I've been doing, like I said, I've been doing jujitsu since 2006. So for me, I've been competing since then as well. So competition to me has never been something to make me lose my composure over. You know, I go out there. I believe that I train the hardest. I believe that our team has the hardest team, the hardest floor to train on. So naturally, if I'm coming up in this, I should have nothing but confidence in myself. So when I go to a tournament and I compete, I always take it to myself to always remain calm and composed because whatever I'm going to feel in this match is nothing compared to those rough days in, those, in the gym where we're training for hours and hours, no break. We're going hard in the gym on each other against people that know my weaknesses. They know my strengths and things like that. So for me, I never feel like a match will ever be anything close to how hard we train. So I never had a reason to panic or be uncomfortable. And coming up, that's just kind of how I was. And as far as like showing no emotion and things, I never want to let my opponent see any weakness in me. Whether they do something that is bothering me or whether they do something that's not, you'll never know if you're my opponent. That's just how I, I learned jujitsu, so that no one would ever take an advantage over anything that they feel is a weakness. There's no way to for a coach to see me and be like, oh, yeah, he's breaking. You'll never no, I'll never break. You'll never see when I am or am not comfortable. And I feel like that's a big thing in uh, all sports, but mainly since we're talking jujitsu, in jujitsu, it, it gives you an advantage for when your opponent could look at your face after a big scramble and they have no idea whether you're tired or visibly upset or emotional or anything like that. You'll, you'll never know whether I am or not. And most of the time I'm not. You'll never know as my opponent and that wears on your opponent throughout a match, just not being able to see that anything kind of made you give a reaction 
you know, so that's just kind of how I, I look at jujitsu. I look at all competition. I grew up being a younger brother. When you're a younger brother, you're going to get messed with a lot by your older brother. And if you let it show on your face that you're bothered, then you're only going to do it more, you know? So as a younger brother, it's kind of a trait to never show when you're bothered, you know? So that's just kind of how I am. And for that match, Man, I just felt prepared. I, I wanted to be a Black World Champion. I knew I would be a Black World Champion. I believe that from the moment I saw my first world and saw the Black Belt finals of the world. So everything up until that moment, I was preparing for this moment. All it was was about me focusing on my techniques and focusing on all the things I learned over the year and letting everything, you know, come forward into this match. So I never had any doubt in myself about that match. Mm. I was ready for it. I was ready the year before. When I lost in the semis, I was ready to be a black world champion at a, as a when I was in brown belt, purple belt. All I was doing was I didn't go to purple belt worlds to win purple belt worlds. I went there because the next way, from, the quickest way for me to get to black belt to be a black world champion is to win this tournament and get promoted, then win brown belt and get promoted. So <laughs> for me, I was always looking at the end goal of being a black world champion and a multiple time black world champion at that. So. It was never like a surprise for me or anything like that. I just knew I was going to be there, and I knew I'd be ready to to put it all on the line and get the world title. Yeah, man, that that's that's awesome. Because I'm I'm actually looking at your a picture of you right now on BJJ Heroes, and you were saying about you know you having a poker face. Your face here, you look like you're not even like impressed, or <laughs> you look you look kind of like 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 you ain't got nothing here. <laughs> Have you ever yeah, seen this it, picture? It, <laughs> it makes it different. I, I know the I know the one is. I think that's the picture that was up there is Purple Belt World. Yeah. And prior to that, I I lost the last the two years previous at adult. Mm. So I won Juke Blue, and I had two years at adult blue. One I won Pans, and the both the years I couldn't win World. So even then, I'm at Purple Belt, and I feel like I'm the the favorite in that division, no matter what a blog says mm. or what anyone else says or who won anything before that. I always feel like I am the favorite to win the tournament. So I I display that you know i'm fully confident in my jiu-jitsu when mm-hmm. i'm on the mat so you'll be able to see that on, on my face mm-hmm. so jamil talk to me about that because i mean you know your confidence is apparent right and the fact that you have you know a whole community of folks to to make sure that you're able to do what you're doing um and to be able to focus says a lot but can you talk about some of the challenges that you've come across in getting to you know, be that be, be the uh, world champ. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a, a clean road. You know, I, I made it. Some people say I made it look easy, but it was anything but easy. You know, I had I grew up in a rough neighborhood. I'm going through things like that, internal issues. Um, a lot of times, I would stay at my coach's house whenever I had a chance to, just to be able to focus and clear my mind on everything that's going on in the outside world. And as far as the training goes, you know, injuries. Things like that, not feeling like I'm I'm the best version of myself, feeling like I need to do better and I need to get better here and there. But I always had faith in my coaches knowing how to get me to where I wanted to be and, and being willing to push me to where I want to be. So whatever my coaches told me, you know, sometimes you have a, those moments where in other teams and other situations you may not fully believe what your coach is telling you. You may have some doubt. I never had that moment to have any doubt. If I had an issue, if I was feeling a certain way, I had no problem being transparent with my coaches and my teammates because I fully believed that they were going to tell me what it was that I needed to do to be the best version of myself. So through the ups and downs, having to go through uh, high school and I was in college at the time, I took a year off of college because it was hard for me to get the finances for it in 2017. And that was my first year at Black Belt. And I was just saving up money and just doing everything I could to try to be able to get back in school and also trying to win a black world title. And a lot of people didn't think that it was possible, you know, to be a full-time college student at the time I was living on campus and be able to still be a black world champion. No one really thought that it was a possibility. It was, it was, it wasn't supposed to happen, especially coming from my situation on a team where we, at the time we didn't have any black world champions. All of this was like against me, you know, and, I just use it as fuel. My coaches believe that I can get it done, whether I was in school or not in school. I believe that I can get it done, whether I was in school or not. So I did what I needed to do in 2017. I was paying out of pocket for school to, 
to be able to go back to college in 2018. And that was the year that ended up winning Worlds. And it was just, for me, I don't know what it is like with me personally, but I feel like I always do my best when it's really, really difficult. And not just in jiu-jitsu, just life. You know, I'm trying to balance college and and helping do family stuff and also trying to be a black world champion while also teaching and coaching kids to go be pancakes champions and, and be good martial artists and trying to help the next generation. So the more I have on my plate of things that I want to do and accomplish, no matter how hard it is, I feel like I'm able to use that as fuel just to go harder, you know? So for me, having all these things against me just made me work harder and made me want it more. And going into 2018, that's how I felt. And I was fully ready to do whatever training and just really, I had to sacrifice everything, no social life, no sleep for the most part, just throwing myself into school, training jujitsu, teaching jujitsu for that, that what, four month period where I could and just be ready to give it my all. That was kind of my, my mentality going into it, just embracing all the difficult things I had going on in life and all the challenges, just embracing it and just knowing that that's life you know, not expecting anything easy out of life, expecting everything to be difficult because I have big dreams, I have big goals. And when you have big dreams and big goals, you could only expect it to be difficult, you know? So you have to embrace that and know that the more difficult it is, as long as you're in the right, you're doing what you want to do, that that difficultness is, is to me, is like a message that you're doing something great, you know? So that's kind of how I took it. And I was ready to embrace how hard my lifestyle was and how it, it still is going forward, trying to get more world titles. So, and you grew up in Maryland, right? So, it, um, you know, it had, if I remember correctly, like one of the, the highest, you know, crime rates in all of Prince George County. Um, yep. So, that being the case, you know, you, like, can you talk about, like, your parents' uh, process for getting you involved in Taekwondo and stuff like that at, at eight years old? Um you know, was yeah, it used as, as a, you off the street, or what was the process behind that? Well, I originally grew up in Greenbelt, Maryland, which isn't too rough of an area, and that's when I started doing Taekwondo, just because my parents felt like I needed something to focus on. They knew I was competitive, and they wanted to put me in something where I can strive to be good in, you know, give me something to focus on outside of school. So it was mainly that for Taekwondo. It was okay. I did a few competitions did pretty well. It just wasn't something that I, uh, it didn't really motivate me. You know, I enjoyed being there. It was fun, but it wasn't something that, that I could, I look forward to for a future, you know? So then I started playing football and once again, that was just something I could focus on as an extracurricular, you know, something to let me be competitive and be in shape and things like that. But when I started jujitsu, it seemed like just a good fit. And by that time I was living in Suitland right down the street from the gym so everything just kind of made sense. And going into it, my parents had no idea that I'd be competing or doing any of this. They just thought I was going to be doing a summer camp program that I wanted to do that was fun, field trips and all this, and that I would learn how to defend myself and the, the things that come with martial arts, discipline, respect, focus, you know. So that was kind of thing. And once I started competing, it just started kind of evolving. My parents would see how much I liked it and enjoyed it. And even then growing up, you don't really see a future in jujitsu from being from PG County. It's not a norm. You know, you're either boxing, playing basketball, playing football, or you're going into more of the business world. So it was a rare thing for me to be doing all the way up until my older teen years. And just for me, like with my dad, like he always had this thing, like as long as it's positive and it's keeping me out of trouble, then he's all for it, you know? So he was always down if I wanted to do it. He knew it was a positive environment. He was down for me to go to tournaments, be traveling, going to California with the team, things like that, because he knew I was around good people in a good, positive environment that'd be good for me in the future. It wasn't until later on that everyone started realizing my family that I was really good at this and it was something that I could do for a living, you know? So that's kind of how it was. Um, around high school or a little bit before maybe middle school, I moved from Suitland to Oxon Hill, which the area was actually even worse of a, like a neighborhood. It was a really bad, one of the worst neighborhoods in yeah. the area, but it was, my mom was, what made it worse? she was doing the best she could. So we moved, ended up moving over there. And from that, like I really dove into martial arts just because I couldn't go play outside. There was no such thing as playing outside in the neighborhood or 
meeting. I didn't know any kids in my neighborhood. I wasn't, there was no going outside. I was to the car, to the house. There was no playing outside. It was constant violence and just police outside, yellow tape outside. Just That was just the environment I grew up in. It would be all the times my coach would drop me off and he wasn't even allowed to drop me off at my house because the whole street's taped off. I had to get dropped off and the police would have to come walk me to my door. You know, and it was just, growing up in that environment, it was just like, man, I was fortunate enough to be exposed to martial arts in a good martial arts academy at that because there's a lot of bad martial arts academies that wouldn't do for them what Lord Irvin did for me. So I was really fortunate and I would consider lucky that I was able to, to come across a gym like that completely like random, just looking for a martial arts gym that my friend told me was fun. So I was fortunate to be able to come up in an environment, understand the importance of safety and being in a good environment and, and just knowing that I was in the right spot and that I would just dive into martial arts deeper because I could see the alternatives that were there. You know, I never considered myself a troublemaking kid or a bad kid, but I did have a lot of friends that didn't have what I had in martial arts. They are going down a much harder path in life, you know? So I really appreciated what martial arts did for me in that aspect and what Macedoni was able to, to show me that I could do in martial arts and, and have that positive outlet for me. So that's kind of, how I felt about it outside of competition and just coming up in that area, you know, just had to dive into martial arts. Awesome. Yeah, that's pretty dope. I mean, you know, I, I always say, you know, to anybody who will listen, <laughs> the older I get, the only people that seem even remotely interested in listening are all my kids. But, um, you know, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, martial arts definitely saved my life. And, you know, I think, thank God for that every day. And, you know, that and my beloved fraternity, Cap Alpha Psi, you know, fraternity incorporated, which I'm wondering why you're not a part of too, Jamil, but um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> anyway, I know Master Lloyd would want you to go Q sci-fi, but um, don't listen to him. <laughs> anyway, but, yeah, I appreciate that, man. And it's just um, so now that you are in this incredible position, like what what other things are important to you? Right, you've graduated college, you've accomplished, you know, being a world champion. What what other things are important to you? Um, right now it's just I'm focusing on first and foremost. I feel like my biggest and most important focus right now is helping the kids at the gym, helping the next generation grow into good people, have good character, respect, discipline, and using martial arts to help them come up like that and giving them an example to see, you know, to see a possible future for themselves. Like I said, it being, having a gym that's where it is in PG County, we have a lot of kids that come in that, that really need martial arts, you know, and it's I feel like it's my job as an instructor at the school to help the parents and help the kids see a more positive lifestyle if they're coming from an area that doesn't really provide that and just giving them something to look look up to, giving them a person to look up to and being the best version of myself so that I can tell them everything that I'm doing to be the best version of myself at the age I am and how they can be at the very least where I am, but have the potential to be far more than what I am right now. That's my focus. And within that comes me trying to be the best version of myself, which is a black belt competitor and instructor in jujitsu. So that's really my focus, and that's what I'm doing, trying to help out my teammates, help out the kids as much as I can, and just being an example. Got it. Got it. So we have to take a little bit of a break here, you guys. So um, i got to hang up, and then I'm going to call you guys back, all right? Yep. Okay, cool. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. You're back, Jamil. All right. Just waiting for J-Mac. Yep. All right. Awesome. Okay. Everybody's back now. All right. Give me a second. All right, Jamil. So incredible story, incredible uh, support structure you have. Um, but, you know, with all the challenges and everything that, that's happened, and now that you have achieved, you know, Black Belt World Champion, um, you know, so what's, how does that feel, first of all? Um, it's just, you know, there's always a good feeling when what you planned on doing, what you dreamed of doing years prior comes into fruition and 
really, really happy that I was able to accomplish my goal, you know, satisfied for the moment, but always hungry to, to keep pushing past that goal. You know, once I got that, the second I won that match and got off the mat, my goal was no longer on that. It was on to what was next. And I approach every tournament like it's my biggest. So no matter how big or small it is, if I'm competing there, I feel it's my biggest tournament going forward. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to get more world titles and to, to just really go out and be the best competitor I can be to be an example for the, the kids. And just winning that world title, you know, like I said, it just it, – it gave me the – uh that satisfaction of knowing everything I sacrificed and everything I did leading up to was, was the correct decision. You know, like I said, being in the area that I am, it was very uh, unique for me to be doing the, going down the path that I was going down and being able to uh, win at the highest level just gave me that, that uh, confidence going forward. You know, like I, I know that I did the right thing and here's my proof to myself that I, that I made the right decisions and that everything that I believed in over the last, however long I was competing up until what, like uh, 10 plus years that I made the right decisions and that I was, I was moving in the right direction. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's, that's dope. Has, um, has your number games, uh, uh, picked up since then with the ladies? (laughs) What was that? (laughs) (laughs) The digits, baby, the digits. (laughs) I mean, uh, I guess so. You know, I, I try to, I try to, minimize my distractions you know <laughs> I'm, i am i am a master of minimizing distractions in, in all forms of it it seems so, that way <laughs> yeah i guess they i guess they did kind of increase but you know i don't focus i don't really focus on <laughs> my man it, it, uh, it's cool but uh, you know it's not really not focus. i got you i got you all right so uh what's next for you as far as jujitsu uh, any competitions lined up uh, not that I know of, you know, with the current situation, I'm just glad to be able to train back in the gym and be able to teach again with the kids. So I'm just staying in shape. If I get any uh, super fight offers that, that I can get enough time to train for and be ready for, then I'll look forward to doing that. But I'm not doing pans. I'm not registered for pans. So unless I do something with a spider, my sponsor or uh, there's a good opportunity and something I could do with a super fight. Yeah. Then until the next competition year, I don't know if they're going to try to do worlds this year. It seems like they might. So I, if I'll be able to train enough for that then I'll be doing that. But other than that, just trying to stay ready to, for when uh, all the, the quarantine and stuff is, is settled down and I'm able to train at full capacity. Yeah. And when, when that does happen, do you have anybody that you would like to compete with, compete against? Uh, any anybody, you know, I I've never been a, a person to want to pick and choose fights. I'll fight whoever is in front of me. If it's a super fight, whoever's offered, that's the the best fight for me to take. Then I'll I'll take that. And as far as tournaments, I'm prepared to fight any and everybody. You never know who's going to come on the other side of the bracket. So I never look forward to a certain match at a tournament. You know, I just go and my goal is to win all my matches. Awesome. But yeah, there's a lot of good guys in my division. I fought a lot of them, and I look forward to keep competing against the highest level of competition at my weight. Got it, got it. And you have a seminar coming up, is that correct? Yes, sir. December 5th in uh, Georgia. I remember the city. It's at Mongoose BJJ. Uh-huh. It's going to be a, it's a great, it's going to be a great seminar. I haven't been able to do a seminar in quite a while. It's going to be, yeah, Team Mongoose and Lil, Lil Burn. Georgia, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I plan on showing a lot of my tournament techniques, my my unique things that I do and and implement into my game. And it's going to be a good cause. You know, the whole purpose of the seminar is to be able to help kids in that area be able to afford classes and be able to train at the gym. And for someone that came up how I did and what Jiu-Jitsu did for me, I feel like that's a great uh, cause to, to be able to represent and be, be able to go out and help out with. So I'm excited to be able to go out there and help out. Awesome. Awesome. And where can people find you as far as your uh, social media is concerned? Um, my Instagram and Twitter is at Jamil BJJ. My Facebook is just my name. You can either type in Jamil Hill or Shane Jamil Hill Taylor. It'll pop up either way. I have a Facebook a regular page and then a, a athlete fan page thing. So I'm on there. I'm active on Instagram mainly, but I'll respond if I, I check my messages on Facebook and, and Twitter and everything like every couple of days. And I, I 
make it a point to anybody that reaches out and has any questions, I, I go out and I respond as quickly as possible and, and help out in any way I can in the jiu-jitsu community. Awesome. And uh, I have one last question for you, and uh, and this is because this is called the Ratchet Dojo. <laughs> Every guest has to tell us a ratchet story. Do you happen to have one? <laughs> oh, ratchet story. I have a few in my years in jiu-jitsu. Um, I had one tournament, Pan Ams, my first year as adult. My first competition as an adult at IBJJF, I had to cut my hair on the on the scale to be able to make weight. I used to have locks; they were really long. I did everything I could in that that diet to lose the weight, and I got on the scale. I was about a pound and a half over. The guys looking at me like, I don't know what we're going to do. I know the rule is you step off the scale, you're done. So my coach was telling me, he's like, man, if you want to do it, the only thing we could think of is this, and I asked for some scissors no one knew what I was doing they thought I was maybe going to cut some patches off and I just started cutting my hair off and the weight started coming down and eventually the, the referee so the guy that was checking me he was like you're good you made the weight you're fine and I stepped you off and I went competed I had to man I wasn't I would I would never miss weight for a tournament never have never will I I got on that scale and it wasn't it wasn't what it was supposed to be so I, I started cutting at my ponytail and my mom almost killed me when I got back home. I didn't tell her, but she definitely, like all moms do, she noticed the second she saw me and it was it was bad. And that was, that was one jujitsu ratchet story I had for trying to make weight on the scale. Wow. Well, Oh, oh shucks. I did not realize, Joe. I'm sorry about that. My daughter was in the background. I thought that I was on mute. I apologize. I'm sorry. You you, you ruined his entire uh, ratchet story. No, <laughs> that's a that's crazy, Jamil. <laughs> yeah, it was. That's that's the thing. I would never. I would do whatever it takes to make weight. And yeah, man, at the apparently. time, that was that was something I had. It's, I don't think I'll end up in that situation again. But if so. The, the the fro may have to may have to go if I if it comes down to it. What did uh the fro may have to go. That's gonna definitely be the tagline, right? So you know, uh Jamil, I just want to um to say that, you know, you are an absolute incredible inspiration. Not not just to the young folks that you know, that you're you're training and, and the up and coming folks. But even old timers like me, right? Like, you know, I see you men and I was just like, like I felt delivered when, when you won that. Like you didn't just win that medal. I won it too. And everybody, you know, every, every other black man that I know that saw you win clapped and was like, holy shit, we did it. We did it. <laughs> really do it. We did it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I am just eternally thankful for you, man, and everything that you're doing with you know, passing the mantle down to these younger kids. And on top of that, like other stuff you're doing outside of, you know, uh, uh, your own personal, um, you know, development, like this fundraiser that you're doing for these kids down in Georgia, right? You know, yeah. to be able to do that, man, you know, and, and Ro, I don't know if you guys went into that at all, but, um, and I know we're nearing the end of, end of the interview, uh, but, you know, what this young man is doing is raising money for other kids that he doesn't even know so that they can train jujitsu, right? And Jesus Christ, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing, man. And, you know, to be able to have so much power and so much, and I don't mean power as in like, you know, influence. I mean, just God force, right? And then to be able to spread that out in the way that he's doing Yo, you got a fan for, for, for life out of me, brother. I appreciate it. I, I definitely appreciate it. And with that said, uh, any last words, uh, Mr. Hill? Um, Just thank you for uh, to Jay and Legacy Martial Arts for being able to give me this opportunity and the opportunity to even do that fundraiser in Georgia. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you to my coaches, Master Donnie, Master Lloyd, everyone at Team Lloyd Irvin, Team Lloyd Irvin Kids, Thank you to my sponsors, uh, Spider, 
on bar soap, monkey tape, and for helping me and supporting me in my, my jujitsu journey. And I appreciate everyone that, that supports me as well. Well, thank you very much, sir. Uh, keep shining. You are definitely a light uh, in, there's, uh, you know, in this world right now. And, uh, and that's it. Thank you very I much, everyone. Thank you, uh, thank you Jay. Um, until next time, you guys. Yeah, Peace. Yes, sir.